Whoa, you'd think this audience is expecting New Year's Day to be around the corner. What a great group of people we have. Some of them are dressed up in some really weird hats. You'll get to see those a little later. And we're so happy to have Shonda Pierce with us, filling in for Keith Bilbrey, who has the flu. I'll be talking to Shonda here in a little bit. Now, they weren't clapping that Keith has the flu. Well, maybe they were. Heck, I don't know. This audience could be pretty rough. One of the words that we have heard tossed around a lot this year from some prominent Democrats, and a word that we're going to hear all over 2019 when the Democrats take control of the House, is the word impeachment. Uh, in announcing that we're introducing articles of impeachment to remove President Trump from office. We are here today to take a formal stand, a call for his impeachment. 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 Yes, the more I hear Democrats and the media, but then I repeat myself, the more I hear them say impeachment, the more I'm convinced they have no idea what it even means and how it works. Now, it's a little scary that so much has been entrusted to so few who know so little. And that would be members of Congress. Now, first, the president can't be impeached just because you don't like his policies or his personality. I mean, that's what elections are for. If you don't like the leader that you have, you can work really hard for two, four, or six years, depending on the office, and vote someone else in. If we decided just to throw out the results of an election because it didn't go our way, I mean, we'd have a government that would be in a bigger meltdown than the one we've got now. As the TV ad said, it doesn't work this way. It doesn't work this way at all. Now, while the Constitution defines the basis of impeachment being high crimes or misdemeanors. There's little more to go on as to what would constitute grounds for impeachment, but I know of no legitimate legal scholar who thinks that not liking a president is basis for impeachment. Oh yeah, there are some numbskulls on CNN and MSNBC who throw the term out there daily, but we're not talking about big thinkers, we're talking about little stinkers. <laughs> And some of them are little more than hate-filled partisan hacks. Now, most people don't realize that impeachment is not removal from office. Impeachment is the equivalent of indictment in criminal court. It isn't proof of guilt. It's merely formal charges being filed that then would require a majority of the House of Representatives to have to vote for. Only twice in American history has a president been impeached. Andrew Johnson in 1868 and Bill Clinton in 1998. Richard Nixon was threatened with impeachment, but resigned before it ever happened. And impeachment only means the House votes by majority to bring the formal charges. They have to then publicly outline in what way a president so violated the law as to overturn the vote of the people. Folks, it's a pretty serious thing. Now, if the House were to impeach, and let me say, with the angry Trump-hating partisans in the majority in the House, it's actually possible then the charges after that would have to be taken before the U.S. Senate. The Chief Justice of the Supreme Court would preside at the trial. The Senate becomes a courtroom, and the evidence is presented by House members and then refuted by the President's lawyers and or senators who would defend him. Now, by the way, the Senate has to vote by a two-thirds supermajority to expel the President from office. Neither Andrew Johnson nor Bill Clinton were convicted by the Senate. Both of them completed their terms and it ultimately did more damage to the accusers than to the accused. So with the Republicans holding a majority of seats in the Senate, here's what would have to happen. It would require every Democrat and at least 14 Republicans to vote to expel the president. I'm gonna let you in on a little secret. There is a better chance that President Trump will stop tweeting and assume the personality of Mr. Rogers <laughs> than his ever being convicted by this Senate. It ain't gonna happen. And if the Democrats do waste that much time and taxpayer money persecuting a president that the people elected, but they don't like, they're gonna virtually guarantee the reelection of Donald Trump and the return of the House to Republican leadership. So the bluster of impeachment, as if there is some real threat to throwing out President Trump, is the rantings of lunatics. The Democrats, like Robert Mueller, 
are indeed on a witch hunt, but I think they're hunting the wrong witch. <laughs> and so when you hear them screaming, impeachment, just remember most of them don't seem to have a clue what they're talking about. And I just hope that you won't forget that when the next election rolls around. My next guest is a former colleague from Fox News and a news analyst who has made a hallmark of giving people the straight story with no spin. He's written a brand new book in his best-selling series of history. This one's entitled Killing the SS, The Hunt for the Worst War Criminals in History. It's destined also to be a bestseller. Would you please welcome a talented professional and old friend, and I mean that in a respectful way, old friend Bill O'Reilly. Bill, great to have you with me. Hey, Governor, I appreciate you having me on. Thank you. Well, I want to talk about the book in a minute, but I got to get to some things. You have for years named a person of the year. Uh, this year, it's Lindsey Graham, the senator from South Carolina. And what was the basis of Lindsey Graham being your man of the year? Well, it's even even better for the senator. He's the no spin man of the year. <laughs> the truth is that Lindsey Graham, for every single American, provided a service in 2018 that no other person in this country did. And that is he saved our right, fundamental right to due process. Mm. Yes, he, he crystallized did. a movement that wanted to deny not only Brett Kavanaugh, but every single American, the presumption of innocence. We saw it with our own eyes. We saw the hysteria. We saw how close Brett Kavanaugh and his family were to destruction. And Lindsey Graham took a big chance, a chance you know, Governor, being a former politician, that very few elected officials would have went after his colleagues in public and said, this is wrong, morally wrong to do this. So therefore, he is the no-spin person of the year. And uh, I'm proud of our choice on BillOReilly.com. I've never seen the profession of journalism so turned into a point of advocacy as we have in this last year. I get it, they don't like Donald Trump, but they have been unable to do even a hint of a job at journalism because they're so uh, tainted by their animosity toward this president. Is there any hope for real journalism and real reporting anymore? No. The media companies are not in it to seek the truth. They're in it to make money. Everybody keep that in mind. It's almost like the due process situation. Make money. The corporate cheaptains, particularly on television, but in the newspaper industry as well, which is dying, have now given up trying to get everybody to watch or read them. They now go after a certain segment, an ideological segment. So anybody watching MSNBC it's got to be liberal. In fact, 90% of the people who watch that work vote Democrat. On Fox News, 95% who watch FNC vote Republican. Now, Trump. 80% of the national media hates Trump for a variety of reasons. Arrogance, perceived uh, uh, incompetence, conservative ideology, whatever it may be. It used to be they had to, they were ordered to tamp it down. Not anymore. Now you run wild with it. You can run, even when a reporter, even if you're a reporter, all right, you can just do whatever you want as long as you smash Trump, all right? Because that's good for business on CNN, MSNBC, New York Times, Washington Post. Good for business. Go get him. We, the media, are going to take him out because he doesn't deserve to be there. So... You add the profit motive with the ideology, and you have a press that's corrupt to its core. And that's where we are. I was just uh, on a plane yesterday, and uh, there was a guy sitting in front of me reading Killing the SS, your latest book in the series that have all been runaway bestsellers. How did you select to say, let's go after the story, the untold story, which I think is the hallmark of your books, uh, of the SS? and what people don't know from their history courses? 
A little bit, a little bragging first. Number one, five weeks. I'm number two now behind Michelle Obama. That's fine. I like Mrs. Obama. <laughs> and that's diversity. You got O'Reilly, yeah. you got Michelle That's Obama. diversity. All right. The reason I wrote the book is evil. There's a rising evil around the world and in the United States. All right. Many people don't even believe in evil. I mean, they, they don't even, they, oh, no, no, no. It's always a reason, always an excuse for people's heinous behavior. There isn't. Evil lives within every human being. All right. And our mandate from the creator is you choose free will. You choose to be good person or you choose to be evil. I wanted to show my readership what true evil really is. And the best subject I could think of was the SS of the Third Reich, the Nazi fanatics who killed babies, women, innocent people in concentration camps. They were bankers, farmers, merchants, ordinary people before World War II. They signed up to go and kill innocent people. Who were they? How did they get away? Why did they get away? Who helped them? And then who tracked them down? It's a thriller. Killing the SS is a thriller. All true. But the most important thing about the book is it crystallizes the subject of evil for people. And the theme is don't turn away from evil. Mm. Confront it as best you can. Don't look the other way as the German people did, because it could happen again at this level powerful and timely message. I'm just hoping, Bill, there's never a book called Killing Huckabee. I'm, I'm just uh, holding my breath that there's not going to be one of the series. Yeah. Hey, Bill, great to have you here. What a pleasure. And uh, I want to say to our audience, there's still time to get a copy of Bill's latest book, Killing the SS. It is available everywhere. You can also get it at BillOReilly.com. By the way, there's lots more great interview with Bill O'Reilly and me on Huckabee.tv. Be sure to go there and click on the O'Reilly interview for more fascinating commentary and insights from Bill. Hey, Shonda, since you don't have the flu, no. I bet you could tell the good folks watching what's coming up on the show tonight. I can do that. Coming up, American Sniper author Scott McEwen. Then I'm going to show off Nashville, and Mike has resolutions anyone can keep. Plus, music legend Mickey Gilly and Johnny Lee are next on Huckabee. My next guest is the author of American Sniper, the story of Chris Kyle, America's greatest military sniper. Before he joins us, I want to take a look back at the power and intensity of that film and the story. Hold on, I got a woman and a kid 200 yards out moving towards the convoy. Her arms aren't swinging, she's carrying something. She's got a grenade. She's got an RKG, Russian grenade. She's saying to the kid. You say a woman and a kid? You got eyes on this? Can you confirm? Negative. Your call. They fry you if you're wrong. That is such a powerful, powerful film. Well, my next guest is a writer, a lawyer, an avid outdoorsman, and someone who is concerned about our next generation. So much so that he wrote a young adult novel as a follow-up. It's entitled Camp Valor. Here to tell us more, would you please welcome Scott McEwen. Scott, so good to have you here. Good to be here, Governor. The book and the movie upon which American Sniper was based was just stunning. But you're talking now through a brand new book called Camp Valor. And this is a book that is really speaking to younger people. So let's talk about why do young people need to understand something about their country? And while American Sniper was all too true, this is a novel, but it's 
it, it is intended to capture that young audience. Yeah, I, I felt as if the genre of young adult was really cap more captivated by the left. And I felt we needed to have something that was patriotic, that really spoke to young people getting out there and doing something for this country at a younger age. And, you know, I wanted to do a book where it was fun to be an adventure that uh, got you outside, got you off the internet. And really the evil characters in this book as well are internet, are internet characters, which a lot of parents don't know that uh, what their children are really looking at on that internet. I'm telling you, there's a lot of bad people out there. And that's one of the messages in this in Camp Valor is to be very careful of what's going on. I mean, one of the things I found about the book is it's kind of like a young, modernized version of Stalag 17, where you have these misfit kids that just don't really belong. Many of them are in trouble and they're recruited to help their government. Yeah, ultimately they become agents for the government. And uh, they become, you know, a kind of a young, younger force that can infiltrate bad guy organizations that uh, maybe more kids are involved. And it's really, it's, it's been really well received, I think, because kids really enjoy looking at it and kind of envisioning themselves doing these jobs. And the reaction that we're getting now on, you know, it bumped up to number 33 out of 8 million titles on Amazon. I, I'm thinking that's pretty impressive. The book is flying <laughs> off the shelves. If there was a target audience that you would say, okay, here's who we need to get this book into the hands of. I grew up, as, as many people did, with you know Nancy Drew and the yeah. Hardy Boys and Johnny Quest and things of that nature. And really, that's what I wanted to go back to because there's nothing out there for kids that really is in that world. And that's one of the things that I wanted to do with this book was just give them something that was a good read. There's no bad language per se. There's some violence, but there is violence in the world. And there's some lessons to be learned in this book as well. And there's a very patriotic message at the end of the day. And, and how many kids read today? Well, that's exactly it. And there's an audience for it. I mean, unfortunately, kids are not reading. They're going and they're watching their TV or whatever else. And, you know, it's really kind of well-received. And it's kind of like American Sniper. You know, we were told in Hollywood that American Sniper would never make any money and it would never be received, that there was, you know, that maybe, you know, Bradley would have his red carpet day or whatever else. And everybody said this and that. And $600 million later, the entire country kind of received that, I think, pretty well. And, you know, and it opened up a world for another genre there. Well, it was an amazing story and inspiring. You know, it, it, you'd think at one point, Hollywood might get the message that Americans will go and support a movie like American Sniper that, that uplifts this country and the people who sacrifice for it. What they aren't supporting are the Oscars and the Emmys and the Grammys that seemingly are a preaching session telling us how bad America is and the ratings continue to plummet. Will, will they ever learn? I don't think they will. And I want to say something, Governor, before we go tonight. I want to say how proud I am of your daughter. Thank you. Sarah. Thank you so much, Thank you. And, and Her old man loves hearing that kind of stuff. Well, I'm hoping that people will get a copy of Camp Valor for their, uh, really, for their family. But I want to mention you've got a brand new book that's coming up soon, City of Death. It'll be released very soon. Tell us a little bit about this one. It, it's a totally different audience and totally different uh, story. It is a nonfiction book about a Navy SEAL that joins a group called the Free Burma Rangers after doing two deployments with the SEALs and, uh, and takes back Mosul from ISIS with the Free Burma Rangers. The most intense book, the most intense story, more intense than American Snipers, all I got to huh. say, and it's all real. All real. He's shot doing it. Many of the guys in this group were shot doing it, but they were basically, ISIS made a decision they were gonna execute women and children that were trying to leave the city because their bomb cover was leaving with them. And these guys were going in and doing body snatches of women and children that were gonna be executed from ISIS and literally fighting them for, the, for their lives. Uh, I'm anxious to see the movies out of both of these, which I hope will happen. Thank you so much for being here. It's a pleasure. Thank you for having me on. Be sure to get a copy of Camp Valor for the young people in your life who could use some adventure and inspiration that will lead to the great outdoors and maybe even a little perspiration. It's available from bookstores online and in your community. And find out more about Scott and all of his other books at scottmcewen.com. It's on the screen, scottmcewen.com. Shonda, take it away. I will do. And next, I'm taking everyone on a ride in Nashville.
welcome back. Hey, come sail the Baltic Sea with us on our own private ship. You can enjoy stops in Russia's imperial city, Denmark's quaint and friendly capital, and discover the striking beauty of Finland and Estonia. This is going to be the greatest trip, and that's exactly where you can find out all the details, thegreatesttrip.com. We sure hope you'll come and sail with us next August. There is limited space, but unlimited fun, relaxation, and entertainment. Well, I can't think of a better way to close out 2018 than a tour of Music City with our friend, Shonda Pierce. I'm Shonda Pierce. This is my America, but I cannot get to rehearsal at the Mike Huckabee Show. I'm in big trouble. Keith Bilbrey is working on the car. We may never make it, but, oh wait, I think we have a ride. Our main job, Shonda, is creating memories for all the folks that come to Nashville. Even our locals love taking these crawler rides. Sometimes people do a little drinky-drinky on here, but due to PETA restrictions, we can't have no alcohol on this thing. Uh-oh. She's making me hungry. <laughs> well, we're all going to start with some barbecue today. Like, I had a little barbecue earlier. Here's the thing. Whoa! Aim that way! Hey, 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 hey. Oh, Nothing small as a trip than a sick tour Welcome guide. Welcome to Music City, USA. Oh, I'm good. I'm good. Is okay, dude. Need to take a break. I've, I've been in this town forever. I've got this. Well, you tell them what you know, and I'll jump in when necessary. Okay, everybody buckle up. We've got rehearsals to get to. Just steps off of Broadway is the Goo Goo Shop. Visitors will feast their eyes on the premium Goo Goos being made by hand in a glass-encased confectionery kitchen. Yum. Really? Trey. Really? You're eating pork rinds in front of Hamlet? In front of the baby? Are you kidding me? Uh, give me them. Give me them right now. Give me them. Yeah. Don't be doing that. You got to turn your head yeah, give me one. so the baby can't oh, see you. Not right. <laughs> <laughs> I've been eating all day. And Look, we're, Printer's Alley's coming we're up. We're slowly coming up on Printer's Alley. Printer's Alley. In its heyday, back about 1915, 13 publishers and 10 printers were located in the area serviced by the alley. It's a safe place to come and hear all kinds of music, and you can hear a little bit of different music than your country music. Mike Huckabee is going to be so sorry he missed this. Even if we're late for rehearsal, he's going to say, man, I wish I'd been with you guys. I know, because we sure could use the help peddling. Come on, guys. Uh, I think I'm getting a cramp. So, guys, one of the greatest thrills of my career is performing at the Ryman Auditorium. As a matter of fact, I have recorded three projects at the Ryman Auditorium, but that's not why it's famous. It's known as the Mother Church of Country Music, and it's one of America's most treasured landmarks. It used to be truly a church, yeah. and they would have church there, and I mean, they'd have church. No air conditioning with the windows open, and everybody could hear the gospel music all the way down the street. You can get every variety of music on the planet right here in Nashville, Tennessee, and that's why they call it Music City USA. Well, Shonda, I think you could take my afternoon job anytime you need it. You've done a great job this yeah. afternoon. Well, thank you, Rick. Good. Right, Hamlet. That was how we got here. I love Hamlet. We're going to make it on time. Time to spare. Time to spare. What? I just canceled. What? He canceled? Cancel rehearsal? Are you kidding me? Well, I'm Shonda Pierce, and this is my America. Well, she's not only the best-selling female comedy recording artist of all time, but she's also an author and philanthropist who's used her own struggles with tragedy and depression to help countless others. I'm just really proud to say she's my friend. Please welcome the one and only and hilarious Shonda Pierce. Thank Shonda, you, welcome thank back. You, thank you. Did you really pedal that thing? No. That was in my 
contract, I did no pedaling. No pedaling. It was, and you know, I think when we recorded it, it was like a hundred degrees Ooh. outside. And someone, please tell me not to wear white pants again. I might as well be a billboard on my derriere. <laughs> you know, you know your career is something when the pig, when you're on a scene with the pig. You know, it's the big. I got my picture made with the pig, and the, everybody kept stopping and getting the pig's autograph. Kind of yeah. hurt my feelings to tell well, you the truth. I think the pig was a little upset that Trey was over there eating pork rinds right in his well, face. The pig made us hungry. You got to keep doing these Shonda America. I They're like great. It. They're so much fun. Thank you for letting me do it. We've had so much fun. Well, you know, you're traveling all the time, and I understand you got to go to the White House recently. I did. You know, it was the best trip. I got invited, got an engraved invitation. I, I met your daughter. It was wonderful. I had my picture made with her. She asked there about she me. Is. There we oh, are there she is. There we are. Yeah. We had a wonderful visit. I visited with the vice president and the president and some, you know, a couple other hundred people. Uh -huh. But I felt it was very personal. I was so nervous because, you know, I'm just a Tennessee girl. And I was, I had a girlfriend come over and we practiced the forks because they have like a gazillion forks this way, bunch of silverware this way, a bunch of silverware up. This is where your tax dollars are going. We have to wash the dishes. I've never seen so much silverware in my life. And so I was so nervous. And when I got there, this is how I know Jesus loves me, is I sat down, there was one fork. One fork. Yep. I was so, I was so relieved. There was another fork and knife, I mean, spoon and stuff at the top, but I put those in my handbag because... <laughs> I'm trying to collect the whole set. They had water goblet. They had iced tea goblet. They had white and red wine for Episcopalians. And... <laughs> or the Baptist that nobody would tell. And so and they had a champagne. They had all these glasses. And I had them pour something in every one of them. And I drank every one of them. I, want, I wanted to be proper. I drank every... I had to pee like a Russian racehorse. <laughs> I don't think I'd use the Russian racehorse at the White House right I know, now. I'm probably sure. That's the terrible thing. And I yeah. did. I asked the little waiter guy. I don't know what he is. A, a secret. Everybody had one of these at the White House. Whether you, you know, I, it, that's how you knew if they had a gun is they had one of these <laughs> earpiece things, you know. And but I asked him if I could use a potty, and he was like, "No, ma'am." And I'm like, <laughs> "What am I going to do to the potty?" There's that, lots of bushes out there. I, well, I'll say, but. No, they frown on you when you pee out in the bushes. <laughs> but it, it was, it, it was just actually for a little kid, you know, who grew up in the South, to get to go to the White House, whether you like the man or not, I, oh, and I told jokes to his face, right to his face. Did you really? I did. And what I, did he do? He stood up and clapped and, and shook my hand. I'm happy. All these preachers kept taking turns praying for him. Well, it sounded like a eulogy. You know, the man's not dead. So I thought, we need to lighten this thing up. So I did. I, 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 you know, I said, well, I have a few things to say myself. And, uh, and you know, because I pay taxes. And so <laughs> I had a few things to say. And I told jokes. I told about, you know, all my funny Trump stuff, that when he gets to heaven, Moses will part his hair. And, <laughs> Did he laugh at that? He laughed. Oh, that's good. I think. Yeah. It was kind of, I did tell a joke about ever since he, you know, I've come out about him. Um, I don't have to get buy toilet paper. I just get off the trees because people roll my yard. <laughs> <laughs> and he didn't even grin. And I, I, then I realized later, okay, I just told a billionaire how to roll a yard. I don't think he's ever done that. <laughs> and probably nobody's gotten close enough to his yard to ever to do ever that roll to his him. yard. I know that would be, he could roll my yard with some money. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I'm being nice to him. You know, it's nice to have a man in office who doesn't have to have the paycheck. Yeah. Yeah. You got any resolutions? No, gonna... I don't torture myself like that. You know, here's the best New Year's resolution for everybody. Get off Facebook for at least five hours a day. Mm, no you know, kidding. Just... Yeah. <laughs> well, Except for my page. I got a resolution. Okay, what is it? My resolution is to have you come here as often as you will. Aww. We love you here, and we want to see more Shonda's America and as much Shonda Pierce as we can possibly Thank see. Thank you very much. We love this person. By the way, tickets for her spring comedy tour are already on sale. Yes. You go to awakeningevents.com. That's awakeningevents.com. It's on your screen, so if you didn't hear it, you can see it. Now, also, do yourself a favor and follow her on Twitter, at Shonda Pierce. Okay, Shonda, we want you to get right back to work yes. and tell us what we have coming up next on the show. I will. Coming up is New Year's resolutions you won't believe.
best-selling author Cal Turner Jr., plus music and stories from the legendary Mickey Gilly and Johnny Lee on Huckabee. Now, we've got guaranteed New Year's resolutions and headlines that, well, you might see in 2019 on a little segment that we like to call, In Case You Missed It. Yes, we've gathered some New Year's resolutions from all across the internet for this coming year that ought to really inspire us all to aim higher. Here's one. Never take sleeping pills and laxatives on the same night again. <laughs> and here's another. Increase my relationship status from forever alone to slightly desperate. <laughs> Our next New Year's resolution, to be more assertive if that's okay with everyone. Here's another resolution. Use whatever dude in conversation at least once a day with people. I don't think the audience got that one. Because they do it anyway and think it's really cool. Uh, here's a resolution for you. Get to know Siri better this year. And don't take him, her, it for granted. And one for all of us. Go to the gym on every day that doesn't end in a Y. <laughs> or what about this one? Join a gym named Resolution that only stays open during January and then changes to a dessert shop called No Regrets for the rest of 2019. Yes. And now before we go, here's my resolution as well as Trey's and Shonda's. Trey promised to get even cooler in 2019. Hey, look, if Trey gets any cooler, Al Gore is going to come after him for changing the climate. <laughs> and our pal Shonda promised never to walk in on Vladimir Putin cleaning the shower in the buff again. <laughs> there is no follow-up to that one, folks. I couldn't help it. Don't ever do that again. And as for me, I told my wife I'm going to burn 2,000 calories a day this year. Janet said, that's a whole lot of cookies left on high in the oven every day. <laughs> All right, here's some headlines that you might just see in 2019. I said you might see them. Here's one. Hillary Clinton has decided to continue her speaking tour in 2019, but scaled back the venues. She's scheduled to visit now 30 major U.S. cities this year. Interested attendees can go to her website to find out which park benches she's going to be speaking at from coast to coast. And another headline that could be in the papers this year, Nancy Pelosi has decided to identify as ambidextrous. <laughs> Beginning immediately, she's going to begin to sign government documents with either hand, which is consistent with talking out of both sides of her mouth on issues like border security. Dilly dilly, Nancy. And here's another headline maybe happening in 2019. The do-it-yourself Oscars, they've proven to be a big hit. Now that hosts are considered politically incorrect, the Academy of Motion Picture of Arts and Sciences has decided just to leave the awards on tables up on the stage at the Dolby Theater. Nominees are invited to go up on stage and read tags and see if they've won. Winners are then invited to enter video booths to make a statement that will not exceed one minute as the booth cuts off. By the way, the show has been reduced from three and a half hours to 23 minutes and now will be shown on the Sundance Channel uninterrupted. I like that one. And like 2018, we've run out of time, but no matter because we read the news. In the cutthroat world of retail store chains, the Wall Street Journal calls this business one of the most profitable retailers in the United States. It got started in the Great Depression as a family business, and it's never lost sight of its small town values. Please welcome the former CEO of Dollar General, 
Cal Turner Jr. Cal, I'm so happy to have you here. Thank I am you. Honored and delighted, Mike. What is the philosophy of Dollar General that's different than other retailers? Let's be true to who we are and figure out what we can do to give our customers a better life mm. in our store. Our customers are struggling, salt of the earth people. Mm. And our purpose as a company is to be of help to them every day because life is a struggle for them. You, your book is called My Father's Business. I have a feeling there's a little uh, double entendre in the title. That business is about my calling in life. Hmm. It is, it was the pursuit of my earthly father's business and above all else, the pursuit of my heavenly father's business. Cal, you talk in the book of the difference between leaders and bosses. Yes, sir. What do you mean by that? A boss can get results in the short term. A leader can help a person to ask a better question. Hmm. A leader can often be a purveyor of the question. So what, what could you do? What could you do in your life? What could you do in your role in this company? And how could we help you to do that? Retailers are struggling across the world. You guys are growing like crazy. Help me to understand what's wrong with retail that Dollar General has gotten right. We observed that retailers often copy the competition. And we tried in that business to serve the customer. Hmm. What can we uniquely do that meets a customer's need? And when, when I said to the, my management style was to say, look, we all know how I got my job. I'm the boss's son. I've, I've, I've done almost every job in this company and I'm not good at any of them. But I respect you. I respect the work you do. And I need you. And if you will help me figure out how we can, with this business, meet the needs of struggling people in these small towns all over everywhere, mm -hmm. then we'll share the success. Cal, before I let you go, I have to ask about what you call the secret cows, uh, the sacred cows, not yeah. the secret, but the sacred cows. We think of sacred cows, but the sacred cows. The hiring philosophy of the sacred cows, what do you mean by that? Well, <clears throat> I wanted to convince everyone who was in management in the company that I respected and needed them. Hmm. My name was Cal. My father's name, Cal. In fact, he's the real Cal Turner. <laughs> I'm junior. And so I chose to use the term sacred Cal. You have my commitment as CEO of this company that we will slaughter any sacred cow after we have inspected how it became sacred and whether we believe it's relevant in the future. Hmm. And if, if we decide as a management team that this sacred cow should no longer be sacred, we'll slaughter it together. Hmm. That was my way of trying to help them to understand that I'm excited about change. Really, my own personal mission, Mike, is God honoring change. Mm. That's what I took into leadership. And I wanted the change that they had the genius of knowing our company should pursue. So when, a, when any company pursues its uniqueness, and figures out how that can be leveraged for the good of the customer, that company's gonna succeed. Well, yours certainly has had a great success record and uh, I commend you, your father, for his original vision. And I'm glad you're serving not only your earthly father's vision, 
but your Heavenly Father's vision as well for your life. I believe you do that too, Mike. I appreciate that. I believe you do, even if you are a Baptist. <laughs> even if. <laughs> well, my thanks to Cal Turner Jr. for being here and writing this must-read book, My Father's Business, The Small Town Values That Built Dollar General Into a Billion-Dollar Company. Okay, well, it costs more than a dollar, but you can get the first chapter for free at myfathersbusinessbook.com. Hey, Shonda, you'd make me feel like a billion bucks if you would just tell us what we have coming up on the show. Up next, country music greats Mickey Gilly and Johnny Lee on Huckabee. My next guests are country music legends, and they're currently on their Urban Cowboy reunion tour. I am absolutely ecstatic and thrilled to have them here with us. Welcome, Mickey Gilly and Johnny Lee. Good to have you guys. Thank you, Governor. Great audience. You brought a fan club with you. Great audience. Well, you know, they don't love you any more than the rest of America does. You guys have done so many things to entertain people over many years and still at it. I, I can't even imagine how much fun you're having on the Urban Cowboy reunion tour. How did you even dream that up? Well, we're having a great time uh, performing for the folks. Uh, I put a segment of tunes together from the soundtrack to film The Urban Cowboy back when I had my theater in Branson. And uh, then uh, about two years ago, a friend of mine called me and uh, wanted us to fill in for Mr. Mel Tellis. I said, I can't feel Mel Tillis' shoes. You gotta be kidding. Let me see if my friend Johnny Lee will join me. I called him up and he says, let's make a run at it. And so then we started doing the Urban Cowboy medley together yeah. at the end of the show and it worked like a charm. So then we took it on the road. I wanna go back to 1980. That movie came out and it really kind of transformed and mainstreamed country music in a way that nothing up until that time had done. Were you surprised by the national reaction positively uh, to the movie, to the music, to the fact that America sort of said, by golly, we like country music. Well, when I found out that John Travolta was going to do the film The Urban Cowboy, it dawned on me at that time. He came off of a Saturday Night Fever. Yeah. And I'm thinking, if he does this film, <laughs> it's going to turn this thing into a country night fever. Yeah. And that's what it amounted to. It, it truly And, of did. course, my friend Johnny here had the biggest song in the film, Looking for Love. And by the way, he's still looking, ladies. <laughs> Be careful. So, he's Johnny, still are you still looking for love in all the wrong places? <laughs> yes. Uh, it don't hurt to look. You can get a menu. That don't mean you got to order. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, Johnny. Hello. Hello. <laughs> you were a part of that whole project. Yeah. How shocked were you? Or were you that the, the, oh, the music my. just exploded across the country. I thought the movie was either gonna project our careers or set us back in, you know, like Hee Haw, when Hee Haw first came out. I said, come on, Hee Haw, give me a break. But, <laughs> but you yeah. know, it turned out to be wonderful. Yeah. And I'm so thankful to be a part of that and thankful to running this guy here. I conned my way into a job. Well, well, the only thing, only yeah. thing we missed is you never came to Gillies and rode that mechanical bull. No, and I'm- If I could've got you on that do. bull, I wouldn't be sitting here today. <laughs> well, <laughs> That'd have been a one-time deal, Mickey. I'd have been a dead man on that bull. When uh, they came down there and Sherwood said, hey, hey, uh, whatever you used to call me, uh -huh. go get on that bull, show them how we do it. And I was sitting back that far away from the rigging. I never thought I'd be able to have children. <laughs> <laughs> well, I gotta tell you, I never, I never did a bull, but I did ride a Bronco once. And uh, I, I was really afraid I was gonna get killed on that thing, but then the manager at Walmart came and unplugged it and I was okay. <laughs> So. <laughs> All right. All right, Mr. Huggle, you just blew my other story. Oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> uh, that's cool. You know, I wonder how many people know that Mickey Gilly, Jimmy Swaggart, Jerry Lee Lewis, all cousins from down around Natchez all in Faraday, Louisiana. Absolutely. A wonderful music community. Um, are, are you the better piano player out of oh, all of them? No, no doubt about it. Jerry Lee Lewis is probably the greatest talent in our family. 
You know, I, I tell people, it's a big thrill for me who grew up listening to your music and, and never thinking I'd get a chance to meet you. Not only to meet you, but get to visit with you. <laughs> and when we come back, we're going to make a little music. i got to tell you one other thing, Governor. I want to hear it. One, one other thing I want to tell you. When I tried to follow my cousin, Jerry Lee Lewis, into the music industry, that was a big mistake. If I wanted to make money, I'd have followed Reverend Jimmy Swagger. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me tell everybody, the Urban Cowboy Reunion Tour is performing at Branson throughout 2019, as well as in select cities all over the country. If you'd like to get a concert schedule and go see these guys in person, and I know you want to, visit gillies.com or the Johnny Lee Music. Dot com. Either one of those websites get all the ticket information. Shauna, I'd like for you to tell the folks at home about our MIG music performance that we got coming up. Next, Mickey Gilly and Johnny Lee perform a medley of incredible hits with a very special bass player right here on Huckabee. Between these two artists, they have 25 number one hit songs. Here to sing a few of them are Mickey Gilly and Johnny Lee. Cowboys ain't easy to love and they're harder to hold. They'd rather give you a song than diamonds or gold. And old faded Levi's Each night begins a new day If you can't understand him And he don't die young He'll probably just ride away Mama's don't let your babies Grow up to be cowboys Don't let him pick guitars And drive them old trucks Let him be doctors and lawyers and such Why's that, John? Talk to me. They'll never stay home. They're always alone. Even with someone they love. How'd we do it? How'd we do it? They'll never stay home. They're always alone. Even with someone they love. Johnny Lee! Yes, indeed. Well, I hope you remember this one also. We did it in the film. From the music to Urban Cowboy. Ladies and gentlemen, Mickey Gilly.
Thanks to everyone for being here tonight. We have had a great 2018, and we really look forward to seeing you again in the first weekend in January. So until then, we say have a safe and happy New Year celebration, and we're going to get it started right now. God bless, good night, and happy New Year, everyone.